All right, uh, Malachi, take your Bibles, go to the book of Malachi. If you can't find it, scan that QR code, that'll get you there a little quicker, so that way you feel like you're a part of what's going on. Once again, if you can't find it, that's okay. There's no judgment here, other than the fact that we've been doing it for five weeks. I'm just kidding. Um, just kidding. Hey, so um, I'm going to do this, even though there's going to be a certain segment uh, among us that's not as excited about this as others, but that's okay. I'm going to ask um, that if you here among us this morning, are a teacher or an administrator or a office personnel, front office, back office, janitor, coach, whatever it might be in one of our schools, whether that be uh, a private school or a public school, if you are working for one of those schools, I'm going to ask if you would stand where you are right now. We're not going to make you do anything super embarrassing, so please stand where you are. I promise I'm not going to make fun of you. Here's the heroes that are headed into war. <laughs> Stay standing. I want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for each person who's standing. Father, I pray as this week gets underway here in Carroll County and the counties around us, as they launch into the school year, would you watch over each and every one of them? Father, I pray you would give them opportunities to image Jesus well in their classroom, in their schools, in their communities there. Father, I pray you would protect them from a discouragement, protect them from the, 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 the frustration that often comes with this job. Instead, I pray that right out of the gate, Father, you would encourage them and cause them to see the fruit of their labor sooner rather than later. Lord, I thank you for the sacrifices they have made. We know each one that is standing has made sacrifices to follow this profession. So God, would you richly reward them for that? And I pray that as a church family, we would rally around them and continue to remind them that they are doing the work of God in the lives of these young people. So Father, let it be more than just a teaching. Let it be more than just a career. Instead, I pray that they would see this as their mission, as their ministry. Lord, use them in wonderful ways in our community, in our church. Father, protect them. Pray that they would find their identity in you above anything and anyone else. It's in Christ's matchless name I pray. Amen. Amen. You'll be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, I um, speaking of school, uh, I have a unique story. I'm not going to get into all of it here. At some point, I probably should. I've threatened you for eight years. I just haven't done it yet. Um, but when I was 12 years old, I moved out of my house. I moved into a boy's dorm, and I attended a boarding school for six years. When I started in seventh grade all the way up to my senior year. Living in a boy's dorm as a 12-year-old is not as exciting as it may seem. Um, there were definitely some things that happened. So, for example, I'll, I'll tell you, as a 12-year-old, I had to figure out how to do my own laundry. Seems like a small thing. Usually the choice is not how to do my laundry, but do I do my laundry? Maybe not. So, so one day, um, uh, I was doing the laundry, and we had these old gas uh, um, dryers that were a little stronger than anything I had been used to. Um, and I had done my first load of laundry, and the guy's dorm supervisor was walking down the hallway. His name was Randy Wickline. Randy was walking down the hallway, and I was in my room. I just got my basket. I was all excited. A little 12-year-old dude, like, I did it. All right, I did my laundry, and I'm folding my laundry like this is great. And I pulled out a sweater. <laughs> Here's the crazy part. That really hot dryer shrunk only a part of the sweater. Just the body. And somehow the arms got longer. So as I picked this thing up, I was like, what in the... And Randy Wickline, still to this day, I can see him holding the wall as he's laughing. And, and, and so that, that, that's my... That, that, from that day, I just didn't do laundry anymore. I forget it. It was all right. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. Laundry was expensive, though. Laundry, 
Laundry was expensive for a 12-year-old living in a boy's dorm who was on a very limited budget. I mean, it wasn't like I had a job. I uh, didn't have an allowance, and so I would kind of scrounge things together. My parents would send me a couple bucks here and there. And so laundry, to do a load of laundry, it would cost me 80 cents. And I walked uphill both ways. No, um, <laughs> but the, the washing machine was, was, was 50, and the dryer was 30, and then, then there you go. And, and that was kind of how it worked. And so 80 cents, that was a lot of money. I mean, the other thing I could do with the coins, which was far more enjoyable, was get a soda. 50 cents. Vending machine in the boys' dorm down there by the rec hall. And we used to go over there. And, and somewhere around my eighth or ninth grade year, some jokester decided to remove all the labels on the buttons of the vending machine. So you had no idea what you were going to get. Then, to make it even worse, after it got consistent, like, okay, number one is Coke, number two is Mountain Dew, number three is Sprite. Okay, you got it all figured out. Then the guy who was filling the machine thought it would be great for the last three buttons on the machine to just put random sodas in there. So, so we had gone through and labeled the buttons because we knew, right? And then, then we didn't know. I mean, it was like, it was, it, was, it, was, it was playing the lottery is what it was. I mean, so here I am, 50 cents, and I have to make a decision. Do I do a load of laundry or do I take my chances? Usually took my chances, and it always end up with this horrible, I don't know if you guys are even familiar with it. I don't know if it was a New England thing or what. I've never seen it again, thank God, because it is from the devil. It's called Moxie. It was an orange can, and it tasted like tire rubber. It was awful. And, and so we, we, we were like, bam, ugh. And so after a while of doing that over and over and over again and wasting my 50 cents, I got to the place when I became a 10th grader because I got smart as a sophomore because that's what happens when you're a sophomore. You get smart. I was like, forget this. I'm done. I, it's, it's not worth it for me to keep chucking quarters in there and getting soda that I don't even like. I'm going to go <laughs> get this to A&P. I'm going to buy my own soda. In fact, I'm going to become an entrepreneur, and I'm going to start selling my own soda. Worked out really well, but that's for another time. The point is this. I decided it just wasn't worth it anymore for me to chance it. I know what I expected when I put the coins in that machine, but I wasn't always getting what I had hoped for. It wasn't worth it. So I went to A&P. Listen to God's word, Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Follow along with me, if you would. Malachi 3, 7 says this, Since the days of your ancestors, you've turned from my statutes. You've not kept them. So return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions, you are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine and your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate, for you will be a delightful Land, says the Lord of armies. Now, if you're a guest with us this morning, you just heard that, you're like, sweet. He's going to talk about money. Um, I feel the same way. Um, honestly, I don't talk about finances as much as I should. 
during preaching. However, what I do is I pick books of the Bible to go through, and when it comes up, I can't avoid it. So you can't blame me. Labor Day weekend is not the weekend to talk to your church about giving, by the way. Half of you don't even go here. You're all like, where are we anyway? So the point is this. It's a bigger message about, than just giving. Because the people were asking, why would I give? What's in it for me? What's, what's in it for me? So what's happening here? Let me give you a little background. God had given some clear commands throughout his word, particularly in the law, that said you need to bring a tenth of whatever you have. So it was a tenth of, of, of your grain, a tenth of your fruit, a tenth of your herds, a tenth of your flocks. In fact, there's a, a verse in uh, Leviticus, I think it is, that talks about uh, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's staff, you're supposed to give to the Lord. So when Israel settled back into the land, they were supposed to bring these tithes, these tenths, these one out of every ten, and, and, and bring it into the sanctuary uh, annually. So, so basically, the long and short of it is 10% of all their earnings, whether that be in, in produce or cattle or herds or crops, whatever it is, 10% of it was supposed to be give, given to the Lord. Why? Why would they have to do that? Well, first of all, because God said so, pretty good reason. But there was more than that. God said, I want you to do this because it shows that you honor my name. I want you to do this because it shows that you are dependent upon me. I want you to do this because it shows everybody around you who actually owns everything anyway. I want you to do this because it demonstrates a commitment to me, first and foremost, above anyone and everyone else. It's a great principle. We actually find this principle in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. It says this, honor the Lord with your possessions and go with the first produce of your entire harvest. Bring, bring the, the tenth, bring what you have first, the, the first fruits of everything that you get. You, want, you need to bring that in. So, okay, that's the background. Now, what's happening here in the, the book of Malachi? What's happening here is they weren't doing it. They were just clearly disobeying uh, God's commands. Verse 10, verse 10 says, uh, bah, 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 bring the full tenth into the storehouses that there might be food in, in my, my house. The, the, the idea of that is giving us is they're either not bringing anything or they're not bringing the, the full tenth. And whatever, whatever, we have no idea what they were or weren't bringing. We don't know how much they were bringing, how much they weren't bringing. We know they weren't bringing the full tenth, and they were taking that money, that, um, those resources, and using it someplace else. And God is really clear, isn't he, about how he feels about that? He's like, he's like you're stealing from me. You're stealing from me. It's mine. It belongs to me. You're disobeying me. You're dishonoring me. You're stealing from me. And the nation, the entire nation, was suffering the consequences of these choices that they were making with their resources, with their finances. The consequences of, of disobedience in, these, in the, their lives came down to some type, of, some type of curse, verse 9 says. You're suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still stealing from me. It talks a little later about devourers, which can be translated locusts. The crops seem to be failing, and and God's like, you're suffering all the negative consequences of your choices, and yet your your behavior hasn't changed even a little. You're not bringing the tithe. So, um, let's bring that into 2023, right? So, are are you, we, are us, (laughs) as followers of Christ, are we... Are we required to keep the commandment of bringing the tithe, the the 10%? Are we required 
Uh, just remove the word required. We're absolutely not required to do so. I can tell you that right off the bat. Let me, let me give you a little argumentation. So some people would say, well, 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 it may not be required, but it certainly is expected. So the reason people would argue it that way is, is the idea and the practice of giving a tenth actually happened before God even commanded it in the law. It was happening in the life of Abraham when he came into contact with Melchizedek, who's this fascinating character that, that we get to talk about as we study Hebrews uh, in the fall and into the winter. And, and, and Abraham came and he gave him a tenth of his possessions as, a, as a, a way to honor Melchizedek. And then you see it again with Jacob who says, you know, God, as you go with me, I want to make this commitment to you that a tenth of everything I own, I'm going to give back to you. And so, so some people would say it is definitely up there as an expectation because it, it was uh, enacted, it was introduced before the law actually came along and commanded it. Um, on top of that, then the law commanded it. And then on top of that, when Jesus talked about the tithe, he didn't say that's for yesterday. Today we have a different principle. He, he actually commended it. He's talking to the scribes and Pharisees. One of my favorite passages uh, of the argumentation between Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees. Because the scribes and Pharisees are like, we are, we are so holy. We open up the pantry and we take out our spice rack and we take a tenth of each spice. And we go to church. We're like, here, woof. Okay, God does not need you to bring that to Uniontown, in case you're wondering. Uh, cumin, keep it yourself, that kind of stuff. We don't, we don't need any of that, okay? But, but, but Jesus says to them, wow, you guys are so very committed. You're even tithing off your spice rack. However, you've forgotten mercy. You've forgotten justice. You've forgotten faith. And then he finishes by saying this. You should tithe, yes, but no, don't neglect the more important thing. So, so Jesus doesn't eliminate the idea of tithe. So that, that's the thinking there. Some people say, no, there's no expectation of us actually having to meet a 10% because Abraham and Jacob, that, that was just descriptive. It wasn't prescriptive. It was, it was not a command for us. Uh, we are, are now under the, the new covenant, and so we don't have to follow the Old Testament law. And this is going to get a little nerdy on you, but when Jesus said those things to the scribes and Pharisees, uh, that, that the new covenant hadn't been uh, introduced yet, so they were still living under the old covenant. And when you read the, old te- the New Testament, it talks about giving is, is based on generosity, not based on percentages. All right, there's your background. Let me tell you what I think. Based on studying and based on our own practice here at Uniontown Bible Church, we believe the idea of the tithe is to be celebrated. I give because of what's been given to me. I give the first fruits of what's been given. I give it to the one who, who is the reason that I have anything at all. And, and the way I would describe it to people is this. 10% is a great starting point. You've got to pick a number somewhere, right? You know what the, this is kind of a side thing. The average Christian who's been polled in the last three years asked about their regular giving to their church. You know what percentage you know, a percentage of giving that uh, is, is consistent among believers in churches today? Less than 1%. Less than 1%. Um, I'm not going to have time to do a full treatise on generosity and why we should give and all those different things. Second Corinthians 8 and 9 deal with it specifically. I did that back in 2017, maybe 2018, uh, with you as a church. And so you can find those messages online. We can put a link up there for you as well at some point. Um, but 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 teach us some principles about giving. You are supposed to be giving from a willing heart based on grace. The grace that has been shown to you by Jesus, you are supposed to understand that grace and as an outcome, you're supposed to pour out generosity like God has been generous to you. You're not driven by the law. Every person inside the church is 
required to give, no exceptions. That's what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says. But they give voluntarily. Somebody's not standing over them like, I see your giving statement. You should jack it up a little bit more. Just saying. People are talking. That should never drive your giving. Um, when you give, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, you are to have people of character oversee the, the, the giving process. And so as Uniontown Bible Church, what we have in place is our elder team. Our elder team oversees uh, many different areas of ministry here. And part of that is the financial aspect of it. And so they are expected to keep an eye on things, to manage the funds, uh, to speak into how those funds are, are spent. All of those things are supposed to happen. When you give to your local church, what happens is that money gets invested in the gospel work both locally and globally, and it allows the work of the gospel to, to continue to expand within the community. Shameless plug uh, commercial, you ready? Next week, be here. I mean, you're here this week. Good, thank you. Uh, but next week, we're talking about, we're talking about the, the, the vision that God has laid on the heart of the elder team for the next coming years. In fact, what we are going to lay before you are, are 10 different things that we believe God is asking us to attempt in the next five years. They're intentions on our part. Things that are way bigger than anything we as a church have ever done. Things like church planting. Things like doubling our budget so that we can go invest in the immediate community. Things like making sure that we are in every home in Union Bridge and New Windsor to start and then go from there. Huge things. Buckle up. It's going to be fun. We give so we can accomplish what God's called us to do. Um, all right, I spent too much time here already. The tithe is an application. An application of being able to show honor to God, recognition of the gifts that have come from him, and it should just be the start. Because here's, here's the deal, guys. God, God deserves nothing less than everything we have. So, <laughs> you tithe to something. I'll just say it that way. All of us, we tithe to something. Something gets your first, something gets your best, something gets your immediate attention, and it's usually the things that bring meaning or bring security to you. So, and, and I don't know what brings you meaning. What, where does your money go immediately that brings you meaning? I, I mean, upgrades on the house, I, I don't know. It's, it's certain things that give you meaning. Security, a lot of times that's savings. So, so we set it aside because I've got to be ready for that, for that moment, that, that rainy day. Oh, those things are all good and wonderful, and that's not a problem. The problem is that's what we think about most. That's where our mind wanders to when we think about finances. Those are the things that we'll sacrifice for. Your attitude about and your use of your own possessions is a picture of the health of your relationship with God. That's, that's, that's why you should have a budget and evaluate it regularly. Just, that's, that's, that's the point. Because as you evaluate your budget, what you see is where your priorities are. Even if you haven't stated them as priorities, you're looking at your finances like, we are spending how much on our cell phone service? Candy Crush just got expensive, Right? We, we, we see how much we're spending on clothing. We see how much we're spending on our cars. We see how much we're spending uh, on eating out. And when you evaluate, you're like, okay, i got to adjust because the priorities in my life that I've stated aren't aligning with, with how I'm, I'm living. Another great one for you that I'm going to pick on people because I said I would. Uh, how much do you spend on your pet 
now he's meddling. <laughs> and Fluffy is, Fluffy's pretty awesome. I mean, I love Fluffy. Fluffy's pretty cool. Fluffy's great, and Fluffy would look amazing in that T-Rex Halloween outfit. Hey, just for the record, why do you buy Fluffy sweater? It came with one. Just, all right, anyway. <laughs> but how much, how, how much do you spend on your pet? Seriously, think, think of this for a minute. Just have a number in your head. Don't say it out loud, please. Please don't say it out loud. Just think of a number. Cool. Now, how much do you spend on missions? How much do you give to your local church? How much do you give to the, to the care and of, the, of the poor and needy in our community? Why? Oh, what's in it for me? If I give that, what's in it for me if I give that? What's in it for me? I mean, if I spend it here, then I get the immediate enjoyment, the immediate benefit. But what's in it for me if I, and that's the issue, right? Um, I do have to deal with this just because every time you talk about money, you've got to deal with this now in church. Does, does God say that if I give to him, he's going to give to me? <laughs> Asked like that, the answer is yes and no. Um, the passage that we're talking about this morning, the passage we've read, is often twisted and then used to teach that the goal of Christianity is financial blessing and prosperity. Something that the entire New Testament argues against. Um, those places that teach something called the prosperity gospel are often teaching it uh, in such a way that says, okay, if you give, 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 okay, that's God's going to bless you. And in fact, what they're doing is they are just filling their own pockets. Um, one of the things I appreciate about the leadership here at Uniontown, the elder team particularly, is that they are committed to not just missions, but being generous with missions. And so uh, when I got here, we were already at the place where 10% uh, of our annual budget, right out of the gate, right off the top, went straight to uh, local and global missions. Uh, they've committed uh, to continue to increase that percentage so that as, as the budget increases, we're giving more and more to local and global missions. And so, so now at this point, we're at 12% of our annual budget goes straight to local and global missions. It doesn't go to give the elders a private jet or, or in Carroll County, a scooter. <laughs> I, don't know, I didn't know what was more appropriate. I was like, sorry, I don't know. <laughs> But what's happening here? God says, I mean, he clearly says, test me, which is kind of scary. God's like, go ahead, try me. Try me. Now, he's not like, go ahead, hit me. Let's see what happens. He's not doing that. He's saying, test me, try me. Uh, go ahead. Uh, let's see if I'm able to take care of you, and if I mean what I said, when you, when you obey. You obey, and, and let me respond. How's that? Let's, let's see how this goes. God is saying what he always says. Obedience brings the blessing of God, his presence. Disobedience brings correction, which is why the, <laughs> these, these people are experiencing the correction of God because of their disobedience. He says, listen, if you just obey, I'm going to remove the punishment. I'm going to get rid of, verse 11, the devourer, the locusts, 
and it won't ruin the produce of your land. Your vine and your field will not fail to produce fruit. The, the, the crops will come back. Uh, the, the, the destruction of your crops will cease if you just would obey me. Just obey me. I will bring blessing if you just obey. Stop trying to figure it out yourself. Stop disobeying me. Stop putting it, everything off to the side so that way you can make sure everything's safe. No, obey me. Let me act on your behalf because you're doing a terrible job of it. And they can't seem to figure it out. That's the crazy part about this. Why is this happening? I mean, he says in verse 9, you're suffering under the curse, yet you, the whole nation, you're still stealing from me. I can't be, why is this still happening? And then, and then don't, don't you wonder sometimes why we're like, I wonder why God feels so distant. Last time I checked, be careful how I say this. If you're being stolen from, you don't want to hang out with the people who are stealing from you. Like, here's my pocket. Go ahead. So, as God says at the beginning of our text this morning, return. Come on back. And yet, with our giving, I think oftentimes our question is, but what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Keep reading with me. Look at verse 13. God says this, Your words against me are harsh, and yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? For you have said it's useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate, not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, we even test God and escape. What advantage do we have for being obedient, they ask. Which is actually somewhat ironic, considering the fact that they have been anything but obedient. It's, it's kind of funny that they think they've been obedient. I mean, beginning of Malachi 1, it's like, what are you guys doing? You're bringing the, 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 the lame animals to offer to me. What are you doing? You're, you're pretending like I don't see that your goat is limping. You're divorcing your, your, your spouses. You're, you're not being just with the poor. You're offending and violating all of my commands. And here they're like, I can't believe it. I mean, we've done so much for you, and you haven't done anything for us. And then they complain. Those people, those people are prospering, even though they're ignoring God. I mean, and he's not doing anything to them. So what's in it for me? Why should I serve him? It's a waste of my time. Taking my quarters, I'm going to Shopco or A&P. Where's the awe? Where's the respect in that? Where's the fear of God? And we hear that and we're like, man, can you imagine somebody standing in the lobby saying just that? It's a waste of time to serve God. Can you imagine your pastor saying that? Hey, don't, just go to work. Keep your head down. You'll be fine. Just, it's a waste of time. Well, the priests were actually saying that. It's just a waste of time to serve God. But what's crazy is even though we may judge them, we say the same things. I, 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 don't, I don't go to church because I'll tell you why. I don't, I'm not involved in a, in, a, in a community group. I don't give because I won't serve because I'm not going to take a class because, I mean, when you look at all those things, I've got, the question I have is what's in it for me? Really discouraging passage, isn't it? Thank God that's not where it ends. Look at verse 16. 
At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him and for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of armies, my own possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day is going to consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. You'll go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You'll trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I am preparing, says the Lord of armies. Even though there's a huge group of people who are like, I'm not giving, I'm not bringing my tithe, I'm bringing the, 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 the limping goat. I, I, all these things, because what's in it for me, it doesn't matter. But that's not everybody, because here what we get is a picture of those among the community who actually fear God. And I love a couple of the pictures that are given here. First, these people that that fear God, they take time to speak to each other. That's the picture of community, folks. We need to encourage each other. We need to keep on each other. Listen, hey, I know it's difficult because the perspective that the other folks have is like, what's in it for me? This is just a waste of time. That perspective just continues to grow and grow and grow as you look at it. And the other people who fear God need to instruct you and encourage you. Like, no, lift your eyes up. No, get your eyes up. Look up there. Stop, stop looking over around here. And I didn't mean to point at you all, sorry. Stop looking. Stop looking around here. Look to him. It's worth it. But not only are the people in communities sharing that with one another and, 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 and talking to one another, but get this. The people who fear God are heard and noticed by God. Did you see that? The Lord took notice and listened. Parents. Have you ever caught your kid doing something good? And they have no idea you're there? Hang out behind the wall for a little bit, and you're like, oh, man, they do get it. The Lord took notice and listened. (laughs) See, I think what we get here is a reminder of what value there is in fearing him and serving him and holding nothing back from him. Friends, if you're looking for an easy life, that's not Christianity. That's not promised anywhere in the book. God never says, follow Jesus, and your teeth will be shiny white, your children will be perfectly obedient, and you'll get a perfect eight hours every night. That's not the promise. What's in it for you? it for you let's see this when you're living a life of generosity that's motivated by the grace that you've experienced in jesus christ you get (laughs) you get far more than just shiny white teeth and a good eight hours you know what you get you get the smile of god smile of God. I think 2 Corinthians 8 9 is the text that I told you about that kind of walks through um, the, the whole idea of generosity. And in it, 
Paul is just unpacking these things. Like, you know, you give because you have been given grace. And, and God, who was, Jesus, who was rich, made himself poor so that he could come and, and dump his grace on you so that you, as a poor person, can experience the full wealth that God has to offer. It's this beautiful image, this beautiful picture. And, and then he's like, okay, you've got to decide in your own heart how much you're going to give. And, and, and don't give reluctantly. Don't give because people are putting pressure on you. And then he finishes it by saying this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. That last verse, he says, listen, let me tell you something. God loves a person who gives cheerfully remove everything else from that verse what you have right there is is a full-on explanation of what puts a smile on the face of god as he stands behind the corner and watches you and you may not even know he says you know what you know puts a smile on the face of god the child of his who says i've been given so much let me give to others let me be that cheerful giver and god's like that's my kid that's my kid you ever wonder, and, 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 and as, I'll be careful how I say this because I was a little more aggressive than I wanted to. Um, as a husband, there are times it's like, okay, wh- how can I make my wife smile? H- how can I make my wife smile? How, how, I, need, I need to encourage her. <laughs> she says, I mean, if I show up and I'm like, babe, guess what? We're having T-bone for dinner. She'll be like, whoopee. I mean, that's not a, right? <laughs> that's a me thing, not a her thing. But if she says to me, listen, babe, listen, 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 listen. She does have to say it that often to me, by the way. Listen, Thursday is going to be crazy. I would love to just grab a pizza and just sit and eat pizza. No dishes, no cleanup, nothing. All right. I got an amen. All right, amen. And Thursday night, I show up and I'm like, T-Bone! Can you make some potatoes? And the broccoli thing that you do is amazing. Can you please do that? And then we can. She told me what would make her happy. All right, this is, for, this is full on soul purging. I'm just pleading guilt right here in front of all of you. Because I do it constantly. Constantly. She's like, I told you what would make me happy. How dumb am I? Right? Don't answer that. How dumb am I? She's the only one that's allowed to answer that. And here, God says, you want to put a smile on my face? (laughs) Here you go. Demonstrate a hilarity, hilariousness, a laughter, a joy-filled spirit as you give to other people. What's in it for you? Well, if you do that, you get the smile of God. What's, What's in it for you? Oh, man, it's even bigger than that. Hear, hear that again? Let me read this again real quick. Uh, verse 16, the Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who feared the Lord had high regard for his name. Verse 17, they will be mine, says the Lord of armies. My own possession. I'll have compassion on them. As a man has compassion on his son who serves him. Not only do you reap the smile of God when you give through the idea of grace. What's in it for you? When you make him the priority of your life over everyone and anyone else, you get him because he's got you. I will make him my possession. They will be mine. That's not some short-term thing, is it? 
That's a long time. And in fact, when you get to the turn on chapter 4, verse 1, as we read it, that great and horrible day, those people who have rejected Christ, those people who have, who have rejected the, the, the work of God in their life, and, and as we spoke about last week, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a holy, omnipotent, eternal God. But for those who fear him, for those who fear him, it says, no, 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 he's going to come, like the son of righteousness is going to come with healing in his wings. What we get as he's got us is an under, a, a health that is impossible to understand. Not in this life, but there's coming a day when he's going to wipe away every tear. Even though it's that great and horrible day of judgment, we get to walk in his presence. And, he, and as he's judging, as he's judging, we come into his presence. He's like, oh, son, you're over here with me, buddy. Come on. Not only do you get to experience that, 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 that healing that is in the, in the wings of this one, but there's this weird statement that's made here that some of you will understand a lot more than others. You will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. Other versions say these awkward, frolicking calves. We'll all get this one. Take a road trip with your seven-year-old for 12 hours. And then open the door and just say, run! That's freedom. He says, I, you get him because he's got you. And he's going to say, go, go. In me there is freedom. Like you can't experience any place else. Go! In him there is victory like you can't experience any place else. It talks, so it's a little, little morbid, I'm not going to get into it because of prophecy, but, but he's talking about how we get to walk on the ashes of those that God has, has judged. The picture is this, as, we, as judgment is happening everywhere around him, we're walking in confidence, we're walking in security, we're walking under the hand of our Father who loves us, has called us his own. I, I didn't do a, a great job this morning, so I apologize, but but I, I want to land on this as we get ready to take communion together because I think this is so important. What's so important is how we began this thing in verse 7. You, you've turned from my statutes. You've not kept them. Return to me. Return to me. In a covenant... Not only are you given promises of what happens if you fulfill that covenant and are faithful to that covenant. On the flip side, there are curses that you incur if you're not fulfilling the covenant or being faithful to the covenant. These people had broken the covenant so very badly they should be rejected immediately. And yet they're invited to return. Because that's the posture God has towards us. One of patience and mercy. And we see that really clearly as he comes and introduces a new covenant, which we desperately needed. Because there's not a single one of us who could faithfully and obediently fulfill the old covenant. So instead, what God did for us is he gave us the perfect covenant keeper. Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the covenant perfectly and died having kept every aspect of that covenant and he died as a substitute for you and for me. So that we can be at peace with the Holy God. That is the generosity of God. Uh, this morning we're going to take communion together. And let me just give you a couple of logistics, okay? Um, when I, I'll pray and then I'll invite you to leave your seat. 
Uh, you leave your aisle to the right and come up the aisle and, and you can take the elements. Uh, they're stacked on top, two on top of each other to make sure you take both of them and return to your seat. And there is the, uh, the, the gluten-free options are in the back table right there in front of the, uh, of the um, soundboard. Um, hey, if you're here this morning, you don't know Christ. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, kind of a weird message, um, but, but, but that's what you get with me anyway, so that's okay. Um, <laughs> hear this above anything else. The most important thing, I care less about how much money you drop in the guilt box on your way out. Um, I really could. I, I don't care. Um, how many uh, good community serving activities you jump into to, to be a light in the community as an unbeliever, I, that's all fine and good, but, but you're just putting lipstick on a pig, friend. The most important thing is you need Christ. And the, the picture that we look at this morning as we uh, look at the elements is that Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the covenant so that we could have peace with God, something we could never do for ourselves, he did for us. And so if you're not a believer and you're here this morning, I'm going to invite you to either stay in your seat instead of taking the elements with us or even head back to the prayer corner and, and we'll find somebody to pray with you and talk with you. Because um, that's more important than anything. More important than anything. So let's pray before we take the elements. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thanks for uh, your, your peace, your calmness. Thank you, Father, for the lessons that we can learn in your word. Lord, thanks for Jesus. Thank you that because of Jesus, we know we can come into your presence and we will be warmly greeted as a father greets his son. God, please, I pray you would remind us of what it is we have in Christ as we take these elements. It's in Jesus' matchless and precious name I pray. Amen. You may come and receive the elements.
We're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 11 today. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we have the cracker or the bread, and we, it's a representation of um, a picture of the body of Christ, which was broken for us. And we have the cup as a picture of the shed blood of Jesus Christ for us, which he willingly gave up for you and me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. Father, we just thank you for your love for us, how great it is um, that you loved us so much that you um, were willing to sacrifice your own son to bridge the gap that existed between us, the thing that separated us from you. Um, we just thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, that he willingly went to the cross, that he paid the high price of shedding his own blood for us uh, because of your great love for us. We give you thanks for all that you've done, and we thank you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the elements together.